Well, I have to say I am really, really grateful for my sound man, for when I forget to turn off my mic and he turns me down so that you don't have to hear me singing off key. And you can enjoy the voices of people who are much more gifted than I am. Why don't you grab your Bible, if you have it with you, if you have a Bible app, you can pull that open and uh, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Round about 700 BCE, long, long time ago, young King Manasseh ascends the throne of Judah to become their king. Now, Manasseh's father was a good king, Hezekiah, a godly king, a man who loved the Lord. He's undertaken many reforms in Judah to bring the nation out of idolatry and to bring them back to the Lord. But Manasseh, his son, a wicked king, reverses all of them and commits atrocious sin after atrocious sin. The first five verses of 2 Kings chapter 21 are a frank, graphic, and stunning account of Manasseh's wickedness. And yet, here's the interesting thing. It is the grandson of Manasseh, the most wicked king in Judah. It is his grandson, Josiah, who ascends the throne as a young boy who orders repairs in the temple. And in the middle of repairing the temple, they find a copy the scripture, a copy that Manasseh has not destroyed. God's word is rediscovered. 2 Kings 22, 8-13, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan and, and he read it. And Shaphan went to the king and he reported, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. And when King Josiah heard What was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair, and he gave these orders. He said, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and and for the people and for all of Judah. Inquire about the words that are written and the scroll that's been found, because we have not been doing everything that it says we must do. See, King Manasseh, in his wickedness, tried to destroy the word of God, And God used his own grandson to recover and preserve Scripture. Fast forward a century. The prophet prophet Jeremiah hears the word of God. And together with his scribe Baruch, they, they transcribe a prophecy onto a scroll, and that scroll is read out. And when the scroll is is read out to the officials, they're deeply frightened about what's written on there. God has spoken. And so they bring the scroll to wicked King Jehoiakim, and he has no regard for the law. He has no regard for God's word. He doesn't care about inspiration. And this is what the Bible says in Jeremiah 36. It says the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and Jehudi brought it from Elishama's room and read it to the king, and all his officials stood round. It was late autumn, and the king was in a winterized part of his palace, sitting in front of a fire in order to keep warm. And every time Jehudi finished reading three or four columns of Jeremiah's scroll, the king took a knife and cut off that section of the scroll and threw it onto the fire, section by section, until the entire scroll was burned up. 
Neither the king nor his attendants showed any signs of fear or repentance at what they had heard. King Jehoiakim tries to destroy God's word, the, the prophecy of Jeremiah. So how is it then that we can turn to Jeremiah in our Bibles 2,500 years later? If it was destroyed, how come we still have it? Verse 28 of Jeremiah 26, the Lord says to Jeremiah, eh, get another scroll. Just go get another one and write again everything that you did that was on the scroll that the king Jehoiakim burned. I love that. Like God is better than a mimeograph machine, right? A photocopy machine for those of you that are younger than 50. You cannot destroy the word of God. Now, go forward in time a little bit more. 200 years before Jesus, there's this king of Syria, Antiochus. And he's a terrible guy. Terrible. He's probably the one that was prophesied in Daniel's prophecies. Although Daniel's prophecies might have more than one interpretation. We won't get into all of those sorts of things. But the king of Syria, Antiochus, invades Jerusalem and invades the, the temple and desecrates the temple and tries to destroy the word of God. He calls himself Antiochus Epiphanes, Epiphanes, which means the visible God. That's what he thinks of himself, and everyone under their breath, they call him Antiochus Epimenes, which means Antiochus the madman. <laughs> I love that. That's such a great little thing. He orders all copies of Scripture to be burned, yet the Word of God survives. And 200 years later, it is the Word of God that Jesus teaches the people from the very temple that Antiochus tried to destroy. Fast forward in time, 300 years after Jesus, Roman Emperor Diocletian, one of the worst persecutions of Christians in history. He attempts to destroy and wipe out Christianity. Emperor Diocletian orders every Bible in the world to be destroyed, all of them rounded up, and anyone that's found possessing a Bible, raise your hand if you possess a Bible. Everyone possessing a Bible is killed, martyred. So many scriptures burned, so many people dying. But Diocletian himself later, a couple of years later, about four years later, commits suicide. And, and, and the emperor who replaces Diocletian, less than a decade later, the emperor who replaces him is a guy named Constantine. And Constantine makes Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And he orders 30 copies of the scrolls of, the, of God. And he orders those distributed. The word of God survives. You cannot destroy the word of God. It lasts forever. It outlasts every attempt to destroy it that has happened throughout human history. And there have been a lot. Isaiah chapter 40 says this. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God endures forever. So this morning I have a real difficult task that God has laid before me. I have about a half an hour to, to reveal to you, to remind you, to stir up your hearts, maybe to teach some of you for the first time, but I'm thinking for most of you just a reminder about how amazing, how incredible, pure, precious, beautiful, marvelous, indestructible, infallible, unassailable, irrefutable, incontestable, indomitable, the Word of God really is. That's my job. The Bible that you have on your laps the scriptures that you have in your phones, they are the very words of God. And they are precious treasure. 
precious treasure. Our sermon series is called COVID Church. It's my attempt to help you get back to the basics of your faith. See, our world's been rocked by a pandemic, COVID-19, and the church of God would be very foolish indeed if we didn't take the time to seek God's direction for God's church in the middle of the chaos. And one of the things that I strongly believe is that God is calling us, his church, back. Now, he's not calling us back to normal. He's not calling us back to the things that we used to do, all of the activities that we used to engage in, and all the things that commanded our time and our attention and our, and, and our passions, and, and all of these things which, in essence, were good in, in and of themselves, but maybe perhaps they distracted us from the important things. He's not calling us back to that. He's calling us back to the basics. Not back to normal. Normal was no good. The normal church before COVID, I don't think we were honoring God. All the ministries and activities that kept us busy and kept us distracted while the world out there went to a Christless eternity. May God forgive us. We're not going back to normal. We're going to hunker down, we're going to center down, and we're going to strip away the stuff that doesn't matter. I use the word strip away. Can't use that in a sermon apparently because it makes Darren uncomfortable. What matters? What's the foundation of our faith? Back to basics. Back to Jesus. Last week we started with a really simple premise then. A disciple in a COVID church understands their relationship with Jesus. You just think about that. Before COVID, what was normal in the church was for most of us to think about Jesus as being the one who answered our prayers, the one who was always with us, the one who was our servant. In fact, in my office, I have a little figurine on my desk, and it's Jesus washing Peter's feet, right? And and it's like, we think of Jesus as my servant, and so I invite you into my heart. I'm the one who has the power, and, and you can't come in if I don't invite you. And we make it all about ourselves. That's what we used to do. Even that term, inviting Jesus into your heart, like, give me a break. He's a King of kings and the Lord of lords. He doesn't come based on your invitation. He invades. That's what he does. He comes to take over. And we need to stop thinking of him as servant because, yes, he is our servant. But more importantly than that, we are his servants. If God be God who died for me, is there any sacrifice that I can make that is too great a response to that? He's the master. We're his slaves. A disciple in a COVID church understands their relationship to Jesus. This morning, here's our second truth. This is what we're going to be talking about this morning. A disciple in a COVID church submits to biblical authority. I want to draw your attention to 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 to 17. You must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true because you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. 
And they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Above all, you must know this. All scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true. And make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. And it teaches us to do what's right. God uses it, scripture, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. The word of the Lord. Now, this passage is not very long, but there's a lot in it. There's about six or seven sermons worth of material, okay? So this morning, I'm not going to keep you here until 2.30 in the afternoon. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to draw out two important bedrock principles, foundational truths that are found in this passage, the inspiration of Scripture and the purpose of Scripture. So let's first of all take that first one. God's Word is inspired. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, think about that term, inspired, right? We don't use it a whole lot. It's kind of a special word, but we do do know what it means, right? There are certain things in life that inspire us, right? We we get get up in the morning and the sun's rising on our front deck and we get that first cup of hot coffee, right? That's inspiring, right? It helps us start our day and, and move on with our day. How many of you saw the moon last night? Oh my goodness, yeah, that was incredible. The lesser light to rule the night. It's the less, just incredible, just inspiring. I went out there and, and froze to death as I watched the moon. Uh, just incredible. Some of us are, are inspired by songs, right? The music hits our hearts, and maybe, maybe you have those moments in your life where you were driving along and the song came on the radio and it hit you so profoundly that you actually had to pull over to the side of the road and listen to that song. Right? Yeah, some of us are inspired by great poetry. When I was 17 years old, I memorized a sonnet by Keats. When I have fears that I may cease to be. I can say the whole thing, but I won't do that for you. You know, if you apply for a job, this is actually the most common question that they will ask you in a job interview. So if if you're in the middle of Putting your resume out there, pay attention, because this is the question. What inspires you? Be ready to answer that in a way that's going to help you get the job. And don't just say, I'm inspired by peanut butter cookies, okay? I'm not inspired by peanut butter cookies. You can have them all as far as I'm concerned. Some of us are inspired by great quotes, aphorisms, and all those sorts of things. Darren wants my share of the peanut butter cookies. There you go. So if you give me peanut butter cookies, just know that they're going to go to Darren, all right? Some of us put these quotes up, like we have vision boards, or we put little quotes on our, on our mirrors, right? The bathroom mirror or bedroom mirror, somewhere there that just inspire us. If at first you don't succeed, then maybe skydiving is not your thing, right? Inspiring quote. The more you weigh, the harder you are to kidnap. Stay safe, my friends, and eat cake. Should put that on our fridges, right? That's how most of us feel during COVID, right? We've stayed at home and we've gained a lot of weight. We're harder to kidnap. Look on the positive side. Here's my own personal favorite inspirational advice for you. Never take a sleeping pill and a laxative at the same time. That's great advice. That's inspiring. Things that motivate us, 
things that cause us to do stuff we wouldn't normally do. Inspiration. But you know, the word inspire has another meaning to it. A more, a more basic and profound meaning right in the word itself. To inspire means to breathe. To breathe. Something that we do thousands of times a day, and we don't even think about it until someone holds our head under the water or something, right? I want you to take a moment right now, just whatever it is, wherever you're sitting, just take a moment and think about breathing. Take a deep breath. Hold it for four seconds. Let it out. Hold for four seconds. Take a deep breath. Hold. Breathe out. Hold. What would happen in your life if the Word of God was as important to you as oxygen. If scripture mattered more to you than the very next breath that you breathed. What if God's word became that significant to you? Because that is what God wants from his COVID church. He wants us to realize that what he has given us in this book is absolutely, utterly unique. He has breathed himself. And it is through these words that we come to know him. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you should take my place, that you should bear my cross. You lay down your life that I may be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. God's word is inspired. It is his breath for us. It's oxygen. It's the very air that we breathe every moment of every day. Because without it, we'd die. Now the apostles believed this. They believed it so strongly that many of them even gave up their lives for this truth. Peter says, above everything else, you have to realize that no prophecy ever came about because of the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Paul says to the Thessalonican church, when you received God's message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. James, the brother of Jesus, warns us. He says, don't just be listeners to the word who are deceiving themselves. Do what it says. James 1.22. And John, best friend of Jesus, the beloved disciple, he says this, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command. This isn't new. It is an old one that you have had from the very beginning. In God's words, 
1 John 2.7. This book, this eclectic collection of 66 books, it's different from every other book ever written. This book is God's word. It is his breath for us, his oxygen for us to breathe. It is inspired. God has given us a Bible that is dependable, and we can trust it. We can stake our salvation upon it. We can stake our very lives and our eternity on it, and we can live our lives by the directions that it gives us. And so Paul's words to Timothy are God's words to us. All scripture is inspired by God and it's useful. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our life. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God's word is instructive. It's useful to teach us. The Bible is the authoritative rule of conduct and faith. And that's why in our confession of faith as a Mennonite brethren church, it says, we accept the Bible as the infallible word of God and the authoritative guide for faith and practice. And our membership covenant that we have here, the one I gave you last week, the little half sheet of paper that you have tucked in your Bible somewhere or in your purse somewhere, or maybe you're pulling it out now, uh, it says that we're committed to the Bible as God's word. Now let's get real practical here because once upon a time I took chemistry in university and if you go to my house, um, somewhere in my basement in a box probably covered in dust, there is a chemistry textbook. And I've, I, I've carted that around with like three or four moves, I'm not sure why, but every once in a while, maybe five times since 1987, I've pulled out that chemistry textbook. Now, at one point in my life, that chemistry textbook was pretty important, right? I, I, I lived and breathed, and it, I couldn't believe I knew how to do some of the stuff in there. It's no longer relevant to me. Like, I pull it out, and I can't, I can't even believe I knew some of this. Yeah. You know, like how to figure out titrates and all those. Ah, it's just crazy. At one point, that book mattered to me, but it no longer does. Because, what's that? It sounds like an amazing book. Yeah, Scott. <laughs> there you go. I'm not done with you yet. How many of you treat the Bible like that? Like, like a book that you read once that maybe mattered to you at one point in your life but no longer does? Like, oh, sure, you have a couple of copies of it. You have one up on your shelf gathering dust. You have one kind of on the nightstand beside your bed. Just in case someone comes over and they happen to glance into your room, they can tell that you've got a Bible by your bed, so, you know, you're going to get to heaven. Right? But, but how many of us, maybe at Bible camp, we were sharing earlier, we learned a verse or two, and God changed our lives, and we got our fire insurance, and now we can just live the rest of our lives for ourselves. Maybe God's word can direct your whole life. If you read it. And so here's a couple things that I want to just share with you about how we need to let the word of God instruct us and shape our lives. Number one, approach it with humility. Scott's a teacher in high school. And some of the others of you are teachers as well. And I bet you, you can raise your hand and you can think of at least one student. I hope you haven't had a whole lot of them. But you've had that one student who was basically unteachable, right? 
Richard was just laughing. Was that you in high school? I'm not sure. But you've all had that. Maybe, maybe some of you have had that as children, right? And Richard's looking down the bench at Lee or I don't know. But we've had those moments where this person was unteachable because they thought they knew more than us, right? You teachers, you've all had that arrogant kid in high school. I, I got a phone, one of my teachers, Miss Popoff, and apologized to her because that's what I was. I was on, I, I had so much pride. She was not going to teach me anything. She didn't know a thing, and I knew everything as a teenager. Oh, my goodness. Jerry, leave home now while you still know everything. Teenagers. You know, you will never learn anything from God's word if you think you know more than God does. Pride is the antithesis to learning. If you want to learn something, anything at all, it begins with recognizing the humble admission to yourself that you don't yet know what you need to or want to know. You need to learn. Now, humbling yourself doesn't necessarily think that, mean that you think less of yourself. It just means that you think more highly of God and God's word than perhaps you currently do. God is powerful, and his word is compared to a sword that can cut us apart, penetrating to the dividing of bones and marrow. That's what this word can do. So when you approach it, you need to humble yourself. You recognize that he is loving and caring. Yes, he is. But he is also powerful. Our God is a consuming fire. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And to realize that in this book, you have access to the mind that created the universe. Right in this book, you have access to the mind and the heart of God. And he knows a whole lot more than you do. So be humble when you read God's word. Number two, believe it. Believe it even when, especially when, it's hard to believe. You can't live by God's word. You can't allow scripture to instruct you if you don't believe it in the first place. There are parts of the Bible where people take that kind of approach to it, right? You know Christians who are like this. They've accepted parts of the Bible and rejected other parts of the Bible. Some people are New Testament only kind of people. That Old Testament with all those weird stories, that's not for me. That's for somebody else, and that's not what I live by. You can't do that. Some people pick and choose what commands to obey. We went through the book of Galatians. Remember, we talked about that. It's not even God's law. It's like our own set of laws. We pick and choose choose, right? Don't pick your nose. That's on everybody's thou shalt not list, and it's not in here anywhere. Can you imagine all the things God thought was important, and that's not on there? We pick and choose, and some people take parts of the Bible that they don't understand, and they use that as excuse to throw the whole thing away. I gotta admit to you, if I'm being honest, there's, there's parts of this book that I find really hard to understand. It's difficult. Like, what kind of a fish swallowed Jonah? I want to know. It wasn't a whale. 
<laughs> I pointed that out to my mom when I was about seven years old. It's a fish. How did that work? In the book of Job, what is the Leviathan? What is it? It's crazy. Why does God, who specifically tells us not to murder, and who particularly hates the sins of Moloch, people sacrificing their own children, how awful that is. Why does our God tell Abraham, take your only son Isaac and sacrifice him on the altar? I don't think I'll ever understand that. Maybe on the other side of eternity. There's all sorts of things in here I don't understand. How does the sun stand still in the sky? Like, that's a crazy story, right? Dom and I, when we were exploring the Bible, he was asking me about Lilith. I was like, I had to go and, I actually had to go and look it up. <laughs> so it's like, it's not in here. So, like, all sorts of questions. But here's where I land on the parts of the Bible that I find hard to understand or hard to believe, if I, mere human that I am, if I could actually truly understand the Word of God in its absolute completeness, wouldn't that actually make it less than God's Word? What kind of a God is completely understandable by us fallen human beings? That's not a God that I want to follow. I tell you, part of what I love about God is the fact that he's inscrutable, that he's bigger than I am, that his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. I love that about him. I love the mystery and I love the fact that he is a big, big, big God. And I'm disappointed with people in other religions who have an understandable God. And if God is this way, if he's higher than I am and his thoughts are not my thoughts, shouldn't his word also have that component to it? Shouldn't there be moments when I look at this and go, oh man, that's like my first year university chemistry textbook. I'm going to need some help here, Lord. And not just a third year student who's volunteering to help. I need to go straight to the professor. Approach the Bible with humility. Believe it especially when it's hard to believe. And the third thing is obey it. If you really want to live this life the way it was designed to live, you have to read the owner's manual. And I know that's hard for some of you guys. I know how hard that is for some of you guys. Like, you put together a barbecue without reading the owner's manual, and you get that barbecue all put together, and there's three parts left over, right? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, goodness. <laughs> Your wife is standing there watching. You should have read these. <laughs> read the instructions. This is the purpose of God's word. It, it's here to teach you, to instruct you, to correct you, to guide you. It trains you. It shows you how to live. It helps you learn things that you didn't know before. So you've got to read it and you've got to obey it. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's in your, uh, the things that Patricia pulled out. It's in, it's in your bulletins that are emailed to you. And Think about that and think, you know, how crazy are we that we fumble around in the dark? We carry a lamp that's unlit. 
That's ridiculous, right? Every week before I, I go up here, Carrie has to check my, uh, my batteries to make sure that I, I'm not going to fade out at like 5 after 12. And, and so you have him to blame if I'm preaching till 1230 because I got real powerful batteries. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to God's word, do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourselves. Joshua 1.8 says, study this book of instructions continuously. Meditate on it day and night and be sure to obey everything that's written in it. Only then will you prosper in all that you do. John 15.4, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you to do. Obedience. In Matthew 28, 20, part of the Great Commission, Jesus says, teach the new disciples to obey everything that I've commanded you. My friends, if you want to live, you have to obey. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true. You know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures since childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare his people to do every good work. Let me share with you some of the things because one of the things that happens to us is we allow other people to instruct us and to guide us. And one of the things that's critically important to me as I listen to other people and read books is that they have a proper approach to Scripture. So here's what some of the men that I allow to teach me say about God's Word. Francis Chan says this, Don't fall into the trap of studying the Bible without doing what it says. Matt Chandler says this, if you want to grow in true wisdom, you need to grow in a knowledge of the God of the Bible. David Platt wrote a book called Radical. Everyone should read it. We don't go to Scripture for permission to do what we think is best. Oh, wait, that's why most of us go to Scripture, isn't it? Like, it's just to kind of get God to say, yeah, I agree with you. And that, no, it's just me, okay. We go for direction to do what he says is best. John Piper says this, when all your favorite preachers are gone and all their books are long forgotten, you will still have your Bible. Master it. Master it. Wise words from some wise men. A COVID church doesn't want to go back to normal. Instead, we want to go back to the basics. We want to understand this truth. The Bible is God's word. It is sure and certain. It is everlasting and indestructible. It inspires us like a walk along the creek. It inspires us like the very next breath of air that we're going to breathe in. We approach God's word in humility. We believe it even when, especially when it's difficult to believe and we obey it even when it's hard to obey. Because God's word matters here at Bridgeway Community Church, here's what I can commit to you and what I can say to you. Here at Bridgeway Community Church, we are committed to preaching God's word. 
That's what we're going to be doing every Sunday that you come. There's going to be a sermon, and we're going to be talking about God's Word. And our expectation is you're going to be bringing your Bibles, or at least bringing your Bible apps. And then you're going to be going home in the week and saying, did Pastor Nick actually say what God's Word says? And, and studying it for yourself and trusting in that, because that's our commitment. We're committed to preaching God's Word. Number two, we're committed to studying God's Word. So when you get together in a life group, we want you studying scripture yes get together pray for each other have good fellowship eat cake so that you're harder to kidnap but also study God's word we're studying God's word together and then number three at Bridgeway Community Church we are always committed to obeying God's word and that's not always easy we're going to hold each other accountable we spur each other on to love and good deeds trust me even myself at times it is so good to have uh, a Darren as a pa associate pastor because I can't even tell you I shouldn't even tell you how many times Darren said are you sure that's what like is that obedience Nick and, and so we hold each other accountable and we hope you have people like that in your life too and that's part of the reason why we gather as a church we're committed to preaching God's word. We're committed to studying God's word. We're committing to obeying God's word. I hope that encourages you this morning. There's nothing like this book. It is through this book that we come to know our Heavenly Father and the Son who loves us so much that he died for us. As the worship team comes to lead us in a song that's a response to the sermon I want to just encourage you and hearten you and inspire you with some words that I wrote this week about God's word. There is unbelief and scoffing in our world. Let's keep holding on to God's word. There is fear and illness and panic in our world. Let's keep holding on to God's word. There's misinformation, untruth, fake news in our world let's keep holding on to god's word there's laziness and lethargy here in the church of jesus christ let's keep holding on to god's word there's affluence and and disobedience in the church of jesus christ let's keep holding on to god's word there's doubt and unbelief in my own heart Let's keep holding on to God's word. There's a hope that will not disappoint. There's a love that conquers fear. There's a savior who offers grace. There's a father who welcomes prodigals. There's a sure foundation that is always true. So let's keep holding on to God's word.